Romans. Down in the down deep in valley. the deep valley. The deep valley of the despair, deep valley of despair, showing us our sin, showing us our, sin our sinful nature, our sinful nature. How we had turned, how we had turned away from God, how we had no fear of God, and what that led to. And Paul has steadily, Paul been, has climbing steadily been climbing the mountain. And here in chapter and here in chapter five, five we reach one of the heights of that mountain. Because you know the pinnacle. you know the pinnacle of this mountain will be when we get to Romans chapter eight. Eight. But we're working our way up, up. steadily climbing climbing higher and higher. higher. uh, You know, I subscribe to a a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. Martyrs. And it's interesting to read about about some of the things that that happened to Christians in other parts of the world. world. Especially in places where where the governments are extremely hostile towards Christianity. I watched documentaries like, and my mind just went blank, and I had it right there. Tortured for Christ. Tortured for Christ. And I see what and I see what these people endure for the name of for the name of Jesus. And it's encouraging to hear fellow believers who have undergone severe trials speak triumphantly of the joy that their faith gives them during those dark times. One of the one of the one of the myths of Christianity is that you come to Christ and He'll solve all your problems. You come to Christ, you come to Christ, and you'll never have another bad day. Now, if you've truly been now, if you've truly been saved, you know that is not true. And not only that, not true. It usually gets worse because then we because then we become under attack. And Jesus told us, He said, "In this world, you're going to have tribulation." But be of good cheer. But be of good said, cheer, he said, because I've overcome the world. Paul told a young Paul Timothy, he said, Know this. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So these are things that are going to come along, but part of our process in growing in Christ is when we face the trials, we face the temptations, and we face the tribulations, and we learn to do it with joy in our hearts. I read it in the book of Acts about Paul and Silas as they were arrested, and they were taken, and they were beaten. And, and, and told, do not proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. And then they beat them some more, and then they let them go, and it says they went away rejoicing because they found worthy to suffer for his name. Do you feel that way? Well, unfortunately, such is not the experience of many believers. But our union with Christ is meant to begin on a high level. And from there, it just proceeds higher and higher and higher. In our union with Him, we find that no matter what comes after us, no matter what comes toward us and fights against us in this world, we have hope in Christ, and that never changes. We have the love of God in Christ, and that never, ever wavers, ever. 
In Romans 5, In Romans 5 1 through 11, it's the inevitable step for those who were once hopelessly lost sinners who received through faith the righteousness of God and now stand justified before Him. Paul began by pointing out to us our sinful nature, and then he told about how God, in His love, sent Christ, and through Him we are justified, we are made right with God. And now Paul is proceeding and saying, now here are the benefits of that. Once you have been made Once you right, have been God, made right with God, last week we talked about uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 where Paul said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because once we were enemies of God, once we were abiding under the wrath of God, but now we have peace with Him. And the true believer who was once under wrath, but then was saved by faith and now rejoices with great joy. Now, don't don't misunderstand. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. You see, happiness depends on what happens to you. But joy is constant. Jesus said that he came to give us joy. Joy that only God joy that can only give. God can and give, and that's a joy that never wavers, uh, never changes. Uh, and, changes. And, and, this and this passage here, here in Romans, Romans five one through eleven, it's almost it's almost hymn like. It's got an air of confidence to it. In the previous chapters, Paul was arguing his point. But now, he just simply states the fact of what it is. Look at me in chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. As I was preparing this message, it dawned on me. You know, if you go over to Romans chapter 8, you could almost preach a, a message on each verse individually in chapter 8. And I found that in these first 11 verses of Romans 5, you could do the same thing. I could preach a whole sermon just on each verse. I promise I'm not going to do that, but I could if I wanted to. 
This passage, like I said, it's almost hymn-like. And Paul's not arguing his case. He's just simply stating facts. And he tells us the wonderful benefits of being justified by grace through faith in Christ. And and every believer can deepen his or her capacity for joy by understanding the benefits of justification as they are given by Paul in this passage. Let's look at some of the things we have. We, we have the ground for our rejoicing. We have the grounds for our joy, and it is peace, and it is grace. Now, Paul always, throughout his letters, he always puts these two words together, grace and peace. And we talked about a little bit last week about the peace of God and how not only that when we have peace with God, then we have the peace of God. And they're not the same thing, but they go together. You see, having peace with God means that we're no longer enemies of God. Now that we have been reconciled, now there is there is peace between the two of us. And that brings the peace of God and the peace of God. You you think of the Lord Jesus Christ when when, uh, they were coming after him to arrest him. And what did he do? And what did he, he do? do he didn't do anything. He just went with it. He just went with it. When they nailed him to, when a, they cross, nailed him to a cross, and he just simply and looked, he just and, said, simply looked and said, "Father, forgive them." Do you think Jesus? Ever you think Jesus about ever worried about anything? You don't, do, you, do you think he? Do you think he ever said, "Lord, Father"? Really worried about Peter. You know, he just has a the foot and the mouth disease. And do you think Jesus ever did that? Do you think Jesus ever walked around and said, "Okay, tomorrow I got to feed five thousand people. How am I going to do this?" No, he never did any of that. You know why? Because he had peace of God. He knew that God would take care of everything. And you and I in Christ can have that same thing. Through justification, we received the benefits of peace and grace. Before we were saved, we had not even the faintest chance for any kind of real peace because we were far from God. And let me tell you something, folks. I don't care how high meat prices go. I don't care how high gasoline prices go. I don't care how corrupt our government is. You and I, as believers in Christ, can have the full assurance that God is in control and we can rest in peace. And we don't have to sit back here and say, oh, what in the world are we going to do? What's going to happen? We don't have to do that because we have peace with God and that brings the peace of God to us. I will never forget... My first, my first experience with true peace. Peace. I was a twenty-four-year-old alcoholic. And one Saturday, and one Saturday, when I was just minding my own business, there's a knock on my door. About nine o'clock. About nine o'clock one Saturday morning. So I put my beer down. So I put my beer down, and I went and answered the door. And I went and answered the door, and there stood a preacher. And he said, and he said, I'm looking for your neighbors, looking over, for your neighbors over here. You happen to know where they might be. I said, well, yeah, they're going on vacation. And I shut the door. And and I shut the door. He stopped. He put his foot in the door, really. put his foot in the door. He said, well, wait a minute. Can I talk to you? I said, sure, come on in. I said, sure, come on in. About three, four hours later, that man that answered the door was dead. And there was a new man. And there was a new man living there. 
trying not to cry here. Okay, so just. And I experienced and I experienced peace with God. Now I want to take. I grew up in church all my life. I knew, I knew about who God was. I knew who Jesus was. But you know one of the things that I often tell people? I've known all my life that Jesus died for sins. For sins. But that day I realized he died for my sin. And that made all the difference in the world. No amount of good works on our part could help us. We stand without Christ under the wrath and the judgment of God. In Colossians 1.20, we read this last week, Paul tells us that we believed and God gave us peace with himself through the blood of his cross. He's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about that later on in this passage when we get to there. But but we we understand here that 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 the first time I remember when I felt real peace at the very root at the very root of true joy is having peace is having peace with God with God. Just imagine. Just imagine a puny little puny little human being. Dead in his trespasses and sins, and the Almighty Sovereign Holy God of the Universe says, "You and me, we're not on good terms." And I'm going to judge. And I'm going to judge you. And I'm going to pour out my. And I'm going to pour out my wrath upon you. Now, puny man in his pride says, "Go ahead, give me your best shot." And God says, "I will." And then there comes a point. And then there comes a point to where puny man realizes you have no chance. And he cries out and, he and, cries says, out and says, help me. And God says, I will. And God says, I will. How do you think we should, feel, think we should knowing feel knowing that we went, knowing that we went from death to life in an instant? Knowing that we went from under the wrath of God to having peace with God in an instant. That should bring out joy in our lives. That is the root of our joy, is having peace with God. And equally at the root of joy is having the grace of God. There in verse 2 he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Grace is God pursuing us until he found us and preserving us or persevering with us all the way through. We are saved by grace. We walk by grace. And we will be saved by grace. We will be preserved by grace. It is by grace through faith. The two go together. Two and, go together. Peace and peace goes with this. For Paul, as I said, peace and grace always go together. And the effect of grace and peace together is to produce rejoicing, a rejoicing approach to life. To where we, we wake up in the mornings. And listen to me. I'm not saying you're not going to have. Have down days. I'm not going to say you're not going to have bad days. I'm not going to say I'm not saying you're not going to get depressed. I'm not saying you're not ever going to be afraid. But now we have somewhere to go. You look at our you look at our culture today and our society today, and and our culture is rampant with drug abuse and alcohol abuse and suicide. You know why? You know what causes that? No hope. 
They, they, they see, they, the, they, world they see the world down crushing them, down around them and they have nowhere to go. But you and I as believers, we know where to go. We know where to go. We have, he says, we have, he says through him, we through have also, him, obtained, we have also by obtained by faith into this, into this grace in which we stand. That's our constant That's place. Our, constant place. Our, standing our standing before God is one of constant grace. grace. By the way, not only should we rejoice in that, but we also know that those out there that, that are living no there that have, have no hope. We, we have the answer. We know where that hope is found. And we need to tell them. And we need to tell them. He says, and we he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It seems quite natural to rejoice in something that's that's positive. You get married. You get married. Find the love of your life. Find the love of your life, and you rejoice in that. You have children, and you rejoice in that. You have grandchildren, and you rejoice in that. You have a good friend, and you rejoice in that. You get a job promotion, and you rejoice in that. But what about when you can never find when you can never find that spouse? What about when that spouse dies? What about when that child What about goes? when that child goes? What about when that grandchild, what about when that grandchild what about when that is gone? What about when that job you walk in one day and it's just gone? What about that day you walk into the doctor's office and he says you better sit down? I've got some bad news. I've got some bad news. The Bible teaches, the Bible that, it teaches that it is in all of those circumstances, whether good or bad, that you and I can rejoice. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I was watching a, a video of John MacArthur the other day, and, and what I loved about this video was that he was just so matter of fact. And he was talking about he was talking when, about when, when, uh, the, when uh, the, the officials there in California were threatening to put him in jail, him in jail if he didn't close his church during this whole COVID mess. And he said, and he said always, wanted to, always wanted to have a ministry. jail ministry. They need the gospel. They in need the gospel in there as much as they do. I mean, he, he didn't said, care. He said, you know he said, he said, you know what? He said, I don't care what you do. What you do. And, and this kind of and, and this kind of rejoicing is, is, what is, is what Paul is talking about here. Talking uh, about the, rejoicing here. Uh, the rejoicing that comes, that comes it's, almost it's almost supernatural. Look at verses three and four. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Because we know because that, we know suffering, that produces suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. How many of you here believe? How many of you here believe in the sovereignty of God? How many of you here? How many of you here believe that there is not a that there is not a blade of grass on this planet that moves without God say so? How many of you believe? How many of you believe that there is not? One iota of suffering that will ever touch you and me unless God says so. And if God says, and if God says it can touch me, then it can touch me. Then there must be a reason. And if we believe God is sovereign and we trust in God, then we know this. And so, as believers, we see our our suffering as as potential for spiritual growth. We are to grow. We are to grow and mature in the faith. And verses three and four tells us that the tribulation that often comes in our lives is the God's means of bringing us to maturity. Look at the process. Suffering produces endurance. You know what endurance is? It means to abide under or to stay under pressure. 
Remember what Jesus said, what Jesus this said world, in this world, you will have, have tribulation. tribulation. Not might have, not, might have, not could have, have, but will have. And Paul says, and Paul says here's, the here's the thing. That suffering, that helps, suffering you helps you stand that up under that pressure, under that tribulation. Under that tribulation. You know, throughout history, you know, throughout we, history have we have seen evidences of, of, of great men and women of God who in times of trials and times of great sufferings have stood up and their faith did not waver as they looked to God and they said, do your best to me. This is my God and I will stand for him. And, and people have marveled at their faith. And said, I don't and said, I don't understand. I remember, I, the movie, I remember in the movie, the documentary watched watch called Tortured for Christ. It shows this. this it shows uh, this. This. It's a reenactment, uh, it's a reenactment of this uh, uh, Christian man in Russia. And he's caught preaching the gospel, and they throw him in prison. And kind of skip through it. Don't go through the whole thing because we'll be here a while. But at the at the end of it, there's this one guard that just despises him, hates him. Every time he comes into a cell, he just beats him the living daylights out of him with his stick. And he told him, he said, every time I come in this cell and you're kneeling down there praying, he said, I'm going to beat you. And the man just and the man just every day the guard opens and every time that guard sees him, the guard just goes livid and he just begins to just beat him with that stick and this goes on day after day after day after day and one day the guard thrusts open the door and there he is he says i don't get it what in the what in the world is so important to you that you would be willing to endure these beatings day after day after day what are you praying for and the man looks at the guard and says you and the guard just melts and the guard just melts but you see, he was willing, you see, to, he was willing to endure the persecution. He was enduring to endure, to endure, endure, to endure it because he had peace with God, because he stood in the grace of God, and he had his suffering had produced endurance, and it conforms us to the image of Christ, because endurance produces character, and you know that is the ultimate goal of all of us. Paul says in Romans chapter eight that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of His. Son, is there any of you here that would, not, of you here want that would like not want to be like Jesus? Now, of course, you know we're not. Now, of course, you know like we're not going to be like Jesus in the sense that He's God. But you read through the Gospels. But you read through the Gospels. Look how Jesus treated, how Jesus treated people. Look who He loved. Look who He loved. Do you want to love like? Do you him? want to love like Him? Do you want to have compassion? Do you want to have like compassion he like He did? In first and second Corinthians chapter twelve and verse nine, Paul says, "Paul says, and this is Paul. This is Paul because praying because he has a thorn in the flesh and it's hindering him." Verse nine, he says, "But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." And then he says, "Therefore, I will, I will boast at all." At all times, all the more, all the more gladly, gladly of, my of my weaknesses, so that the power, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wouldn't you like to pray? Wouldn't you like, like to pray something like that? You see, we rejoice. You see, we in rejoice suffering in suffering because it is the path to spiritual maturity and glory, where we understand that we are nothing but finite creatures serving serving an infinite God. And it was his choice. And it was his not choice, mine. not mine. It was his. It was his. 
So we see the ground of our rejoicing is found in peace and grace. We see in verses 5 through 8 the guarantee of our rejoicing, which is unbounded love. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, through, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. Listen, verse 8 is one of those pinnacle verses of the entire Bible. But God, but God shows His love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The great, benefits, the great of benefits of peace and grace are grounded in God's unbounded love. And, and the word that Paul uses for here is the word agape. The Greek word agape. And let me tell you, that word is never, ever, ever used in the Bible for anyone except God. It is never used, it is in, never relation used in relation to us except for God's love towards us. It is the God kind of love. You remember when Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you? We can't do that. Not without him. Not without him. But that's what he's talking about. He's saying, you agape others the way that I have agaped you. It's a wonderful word. It's a wonderful and, and, and word. And, and it is only ever used in expressing, in expressing God's love for us, never in expressing, love for us, never in expressing our love for God. And Paul says that, and Paul God's, says that God's love has been poured into our hearts. It's been poured in. It's been poured in. And it has become a part of us. Our hearts have been filled to overflowing with divine affection. You know, Peter, I think it's in his first letter, he says something that is very, very remarkable. He says that you and I, when we get saved, we have become partakers of the divine nature. You understand what that means? You understand what that means? Peter says when you get saved, God becomes a part of you. That divine nature. That divine nature. You see, it's that you divine, see, it's nature, that divine can nature can love you as Christ loved me. That divine nature can learn to rejoice in the midst of sufferings. God's love has God's been poured, has been poured into our hearts. And, and the agent of this is the Holy Spirit who personally represents God's love in our hearts. Uh, over in... Uh, Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 1. You know, we talk about the, you know, we talk about the guarantee that God has given to us. The guarantee of our rejoicing. And in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, In Him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Or with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. J. Vernon McGee used to put it like this. The Holy Spirit is our wedding band that God has given to promise. What an amazing exposition of God's love Paul gives here. Paul attempts to help us by commenting further on what Christ did. Look what he says. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for us, for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows His love for us while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. Do you realize what He's saying right there? 
We have this idea. We have this idea, and, 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 there, are and, and, and there are many today that preach this idea. Listen, if you will just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, if you will just straighten your life out, start going to church, start reading your Bible. No, no. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for me. He didn't to wait for me to catch up. He didn't wait for me to get to a certain point. He said, "Without he this, said, without this, you're doomed." You're doomed. And he died. For and he died for the ungodly at the right time. At the right time. Paul delivered that he describes us here with four words. We were weak. We were ungodly. We are sinners. And in verse 10, he says we were enemies. And he's telling us that God's love is totally unmotivated by anything in us. And, and, and I don't and, know, and that, I we know that we understand how important and how wonderful that is. Because if he'd have waited on me, you know, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, it's a good thing God saved me before I was born because he'd have never done it afterwards. And Paul is saying, Paul that, everything is saying that everything that God has done is completely unmotivated by anything that we do. And because this, and love, because is this love is unmerited, because it, because is, not it is not dependent on us, it will never change. It will never change. It will never change. There's a story. There's a story when, when God, when, when in, the God in the book of Genesis established the Abrahamic, established the Abrahamic, the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham. <clears throat> God God told Abraham, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go gather all the animal sacrifices and cut them in half. And I want you to lay them all out. Now, the tradition in those days was this. If you and I were to establish an agreement with one another, we would take the sacrifice and cut it in half and we would both walk between it. And what that signified, and what that was, signified if was, if I break the covenant, you have the right to do to me what we did to those sacrifices. If you break it, I have the right to do to you what we did to the sacrifices. So God had Abraham lay out the sacrifices. Then you know what God did? He made Abraham fall asleep. And God walked between them. Not Abraham. Not Abraham. God did. Now why do you think God, now why do you did, think not God did not make Abraham? Why didn't God, why didn't God say, Abraham, now you walk between these and I'm going to walk. And if, you fail, and if you fail, then this is what I get, then to, this do is what I get to do I to you. Fail, if I fail, this is what you get to do to me. Now God knew he wasn't going to fail. But he also knew that Abraham would. Now, isn't that wonderful? And so that's what Paul here is talking about, the love of God. It's a love that, 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 can, love never that, that can never God change. God's love is the permanent possession of the child of God. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 8, since y'all insist. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 says, who shall, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall tribulation or distress, or, distress, or, persecution, or persecution, or famine, or, famine, or nakedness, or, nakedness, or danger, or sword? Verse 38. Verse 38. For I am sure, Paul says, that, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love, the love of God, of God which, is which is in Christ in Jesus, Christ Jesus our, Lord. our Lord. 
So the ground for, so the ground our, rejoicing, for our rejoicing uh, is, uh, peace, is and peace and grace. And the guarantee, and of, the our guarantee of our rejoicing is that God's love, is that God's love never changes. It never wavers. And he's proved that love to us. As he said there in verse 8, God proved that he loved us. In that, while we still were in a position where we deserved hell, Christ died for us. Then Paul talks about, Paul talks about the, hope for, the hope for future rejoicing, the continual benefits. Verse 9, since therefore. Now, every time Paul uses that word therefore, we got to really pay attention. You know, back in chapter verse 1, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That's what he's been talking about in chapter 4. He says, so therefore, because of this, here's what we do now. And here in chapter in verse 9, he says, since therefore, therefore, since you have experienced the grace and the peace of God, and since therefore you have ground for rejoicing and you have the guarantee of your rejoicing he says since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God for if while we were enemies we were record listen Pay attention to verse. Pay 10 attention here. to verse ten here. This, this, is, just this, this is just unbelievable. For if, For if while, we enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled, we were reconciled to God, to by, God the by the death of His Son, much, much more now we now are we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by His life? Do you think the resurrection, you think the resurrection of Christ is an important thing? Listen, folks, without, Listen, it, you folks, without it, you realize our Christianity goes away. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very foundation upon which the, our faith stands. And Paul, and Paul he, here, he, he says, seeing what Christ did in dying to save us, how much more will he do by living? By living. My words my fail words me to fail tell me to tell you what's in my heart right now concerning that verse. I don't know the words. It's just so it's unbelievable, just so what, unbelievable. He what he says here. You know, in John 14, 19, Jesus said, because, because I live, you also will live. You also will live. And when he talking about live, and when he he's, talking about live he's not talking about breathing and having an existence. Having an existence. You know, when Jesus said, you know, when Jesus in, said in, in, in John 10, he said, I have come that you might have life. And have it abundantly. And have it abundantly. What do you think he meant by that? What do you think he meant by that? Does he mean that? Does he mean that? Does he mean that you can have it abundantly? Means you'll have everything in the world you ever wanted? No, that's not at all what he. That's not at all what he. He something much more important than that. When he says that you, I will come to give you life. I will come to give you a purpose. By the way, you know what? By the way, you know what our it's him. It's him. And he says I will. And he says I will give you an abundance of it. Paul concludes, Paul concludes this section in verse 11 when he says, when he says more, than more than that. He keeps saying, he keeps more, saying much, much more, much more, much more. Much more. Now he says even, now more, he than says even more than that. We also, we also rejoice in God, in God, God through Christ our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received, received reconciliation. reconciliation. 
Many times, many times, Paul here, he has talked about boasting. And what he's saying here is if you want to boast in anything, if you want to boast in anybody, it better be God. Because he's the only one that deserves it. Our rejoicing is not some theological chest beating, but rather a humble confidence of triumph through Jesus Christ. You and I, you as, believers, and I as believers, we should be, we should the, be most the most positive people in the world. In the world. We should. We should. I tell you, here of I'll late, confess to you, I'll confess to you, the Lord has convicted me about some things. And when I was preparing this message, because there is no bigger critic of our current administration than I am. And, and, and I was and, listening and, and here a while back to a message, I can't, a message, I can't remember, Lawson, Steve Lawson, John MacArthur, somebody, John MacArthur, somebody but they were talking about how we need to remember those in authority are there because God put them there. You know, and I think it was Martin Luther one time, he says, do you realize when you complain about the weather, you're complaining against God? Who created it? Who created it? And ordained it? And ordained it? We have nothing. To we be have nothing of. to be afraid of. We have nothing. We to have nothing about. to complain Do about. That? Do you realize that? You know. Here's what I want you. you know, to, here's what I want you to. I want you to go home today. I want you to get a piece of paper. Draw a line down the middle. On one side, put all your complaints, and on the other side, put all your rejoicing things. I want to tell you. On this I want to tell you. On this side, for complaints, there should be absolutely nothing. Now we all have them. Now we all have them. I complain. You. I complain. You complain. We don't rejoice. We don't enough rejoice because, enough because, and, and, and this, this is this this goes back to what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you know why you don't rejoice because you don't know who you are. You don't know what you've been given. That's why he said. That's why he said there in, 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 in uh, chapter Second Corinthians when he says when he says I asked God to remove the thorn and God said my grace is sufficient. And Paul says so. And Paul says so. I have learned that in my weakness, that in my weakness that's where I'm strong. That's where because I'm strong you know because you know why? Because it is in my because weakness that I remember I have to rely on God and not on myself. We, we, uh, when we rejoice in God, when we truly understand how we have been justified by by grace through faith, when we realize that we have been reconciled to God, that we're no longer enemies of God, we have peace with God, we have the peace of God. When we understand everything that goes with that, everything that comes with that, and you know, I have to go back to something we talked about Wednesday night in, in, in our study of, of uh, sanctification and holiness. Something that I pointed Something out. That I pointed out. We, need to we need to understand that, that we go to God, we go to God and, we and we receive forgiveness. forgiveness. We receive mercy. We receive grace. We become we his. Become we, his. Are we are adopted into his family. But the thing that, but the we, thing often that we often lose sight of is this one very simple, simple biblical truth. 
We don't have to, we go, don't to, have to go to God and say, give me grace. We don't have to go to God and say, give me peace. All we have to do is go to God and say, give me Jesus. Because all of that goes with it. He's what we need. And, and you see the importance here? Because too often in most of our churches today, we are searching and we are coming to God to receive from God what He can give us. We're, 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 seeking we're, we're, after we're seeking hand, after God's hand rather than God's, rather than God's face. God doesn't want me to God come, to him, want me to come to him just for what him. I can get from him. He wants me to come, he to, him me to, come to him because of who he is. And in Christ, and in Christ we have all of that. So we can rejoice, so we can rejoice when we rejoice in God. Our worship becomes a joyful celebration of God to God. And our Christian living a joyful service to God. Let us, Let us learn, to, learn rejoice to rejoice in God. And look at what Paul says here. I'm going to challenge you to do this. Every day for the next week. Take you what? A minute? Read verses 1 through 11. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Pause on each verse and meditate on each verse there. And I will promise you, ladies and gentlemen, I will promise you based on the promise of this book right here, the Word of God, that if we will do that, it'll change our worship. It'll change how we live our lives. We'll understand that who we are in Christ and what we've been given in Christ, and we will have a life that is full of joy. A life that rejoices in our God. If I'm going to challenge you, do that this week. Go Read, through go through verses 1 through 11 every day. Take as long as you want. Read through it. Meditate on it. Pray over it. Use the words and make them your prayer. And I'll promise you, and I'll promise you it'll, change it'll change things. Let's pray. Father, Let's pray. Father, oh God, how do oh God, we express, do we our, express gratitude our gratitude to you in, in words, saying, in words Father, saying, Father, that we are so thankful, are so thankful for what you have done. Lord, may our Lord, lives, may be, our poured lives be poured out for you. In gratitude, in gratitude Lord, of the fact that, of the fact while, that we sinners, while we were still Christ sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we find peace. In Jesus we find grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father, who has the guarantee that you will accomplish what you promised. We thank you, Heavenly Father, this morning that our salvation, our justification, our reconciliation, everything, Father, is not dependent on what we do or don't do. So Father, you are sovereign, you are holy, you are good, you are good. Father, may your joy, Father, may well, your joy up well up in our hearts. That it may pour that forth. It may pour forth. That the world around that us, the world Father, around us, Father, as they see us endure the sufferings and the pains of this life. May we, may as we, said, as Peter said, always be ready to give an answer to those that ask to those us, that ask us of the hope that's in us. And that we would always, that we point, would them always point them but nowhere Christ but to Christ himself. For it's in his name we, pray. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand.